Hello, this is Eden on 88.9 The Bridge. It's Garden of Eden, and I'm your host. I talk about what I like most. Garden of Eden! <laughs> I'm joined here with Maz Subramanian. He is a chemistry professor in solid state chemistry at Oregon State University. He led a research team which discovered a new pigment of blue, and he's here today to talk about it. Professor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Eden, for having me on your show. I think before we get into the blue, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Like, what were your interests growing up? What did you like to do? As soon as I finished my high school, I wanted to do science, but then I started reading about some of the scientist background, especially those who are very quite well known. Uh, for example, Einstein or, you know, uh, Linus Pauling and others. So one of the uh, biography which really caught my attention was Linus Pauling uh, because uh, he was a chemist and also he was a peace activist. So I thought, you know, the chemist being also a peace activist was attracted me a lot. Mm-hmm. Then I started reading more about him, about his background. Then I thought I should do chemistry. <laughs> so that's how they started. And also, if you look at my research today, it's very close, uh, closely aligned with what Linus Pauling did to get a Nobel Prize. Ah, so you got inspiration from someone and that's how you got into chemistry. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's amazing because, uh, uh, because if you look at the chemistry in general, it's always understanding the material. Mm-hmm. So that's what Linus Pauling did. And also one more thing I have to I have to share with you. I shared my birthday with Linus Pauling. Oh. Linus Pauling, February 28th. So it is kind of thing I always got into my mind. There is something about this person I like so much. <laughs> and then later I, I came to know he was, uh, actually he was from Oregon. And this all happened in India, not in the US. Uh-huh. Because I was just going to a library in the American consulate. Mm-hmm. I, I happened to read a book on biography of many scientists, and I came across Linus Pauling. So everything came together, and I said, I'm going to do chemistry first. <laughs> and then because chemistry is, I always thought chemistry is an interesting subject because it, 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 it has got some colors, of course, which I never thought I'm going to discover a new color, but still. So there's always attraction to science, but chemistry becomes a much more favorite subject for me when I was in high school. So I decided I'll pursue chemistry, and then I came to know about some of the scientists who did chemistry before. So I thought uh, that would be a, a a good way to maybe to to structure my career. Actually, I think it's cool that you had so much inspiration from this one person, and that that's what guided you. And I know that you did a lot of things before being a professor at Oregon State University. Um, what were some of those things? Well, I I did did my PhD in India uh, in at the Indian Institute of Technology. And then I came as a postdoctoral fellow at uh, uh, Texas A&M University uh, in College Station, Texas. And uh, then I got an opportunity to work for a company, DuPont Company, which is a very famous mm-hmm. chemical company. There I started making interesting new materials and making new discoveries. So the discovery is one of my passion. I want to make things which nobody has seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, then I'll be the first person to see it. That means that is the definition of a discovery because you are the first person to see it and you make a discovery. Then when I was after 22 years at DuPont, I decided I want to give my passion for science to younger generation. So I learned a lot being in the industry, 
how to do research, how to make my research applicable to many societal needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought maybe I should uh, go to university and teach young kids how to become a scientist. Then, uh, then I thought that you, because sometimes when you're in industry, you don't teach. So I thought the best avenue for me to pay back is to go back to university and try to teach, teach young generation how amazing is the research is, how amazing is science is. And then I thought maybe that's the way I can motivate some others to become like me, hopefully. That's awesome. I like that you had such an extensive background at Lake DuPont and then you wanted to teach people. And already I can see that you are very value driven. Um, you have like these principles, gaining, getting inspiration from other people, sharing your knowledge. And I feel like I have to ask the value question. Um, it helps listeners get a better sense of who you are. What values guide you? First thing is work ethics. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to make sure that I my I give my full hundred percent of my ability to do what I want to do. So if I'm going to have some goals, I want to pursue that goals with a lot of passion. Mm-hmm. So passion is very important to be a, a successful scientist. When I do the science, I want to be very passionate about it. Well, I and also I'm always very hopeful. There are many things to discover. Not everything is already discovered. So there are things to discover. Why can't I can't discover those? So that drives me. That's why I come to lab every day. Even you know, at this stage, I, I go to lab every day because my inspiration comes from being in the in the lab and looking at those chemicals and looking at the students who are working, making stuff. So I really it just motivates me to, to do more and more. So definitely, I I value them very much. Actually, hard work, work ethics, and also passion for what what I want to do. Actually, I mean those values make so much sense, especially in the context of the story that we're about to tell about you discovering this blue, because it's all centered around discovery and being interested in something that happened to yield a crazy result. So I think now we should talk about the blue. I've read this in coverage, but for our listeners. Will you tell the story of Yinmin Blue? In 2009, my interest was not to discover a new blue. My interest was actually to make a material that will revolutionize electronic industry like computers. So I was looking for a material with working with my graduate student that can actually speed up the computer. So we are looking for a very unique material, which is a acts as a capacitor and also a magnetic material. So I'm sure you all know magnets, you know, like you, you have a permanent magnets, you have a cobalt magnets. So I, I want it to be magnet and also a capacitor. What is capacitor? Capacitor is nothing but it holds charges and it releases it whenever you want, just like a battery. So I can, I can use these two technology to come up with a, with a material which can make the computer work faster and more efficient. So that was my goal. When I wrote a proposal to National Science Foundation, that is where you get for money for the research because it's a funding agency. So I thought I'll do that. Then I wrote a proposal. In the proposal, not a single word, blue or pigment. Then when we started making this uh, material, which consists of three elements in the periodic table, yttrium with a symbol Y, indium with a symbol IN, and manganese with a chemical symbol is MN. So we mix these materials and then heat them to very high temperatures because I thought manganese will be a good magnetic material. 
indium will be a good dielectric material. We call them our capacitor material. But we thought mixing them together, we needed a high temperature. Then I was in the lab. My student, Andrew Smith, he took the sample out of the furnace because we eat them to very high temperature. It's a big, big oven. And he took the sample out. I was standing there close by. I said, what happened here? Why it is so blue? The sample came out of the furnace. I was in awe. My jaw literally dropped. And yeah. I was just blown away because I have never seen a blue like this by using a material which containing manganese. Because normally the manganese containing materials are black or brown. So the moment I saw that, I know this material may be useful as a pigment to paint things because it's so bright, so vivid. Then it is so stable because it came out of the furnace at 1,300 degrees Celsius or about 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a very high temperature. So I know that it's going to be very stable. If that is the case, we should explore this as a pigment. You may wonder why it is so exciting because blue is a very difficult color to make in the lab. If you look at the nature, for example, sky, which is blue, but nothing to do with pigment. It's all scattering of the light from the particles or the gases. But if then you look at the blue birds or peacock, you see blue, but there's no pigment. And it's because of the way the light reflects from the wings or like, for example, in the case of morpho butterfly, it looks beautiful blue, but there's no blue pigment. You can have, you can have it like blueberries has no blue pigment. I know that. So I thought maybe it's very unique because I know the blue pigment is difficult to make because of my industrial background. Because when I was working for DuPont, there was a division called pigment division. They told me, scientists told me there, hey, Mars, if we can find a new blue compound, it'll be fantastic. So I remembered that. Then I said, my gosh, maybe this is what they are looking for. There is something about science. Many of the breakthrough discoveries come by accident. I call this an happy accident. So that's what Louis Pasteur said. The luck favors the prepared mind. So that is what I said. Then we decided to explore this as a pigment. Then we found out this has got superior properties of any blue pigment known. It is not only a beautiful blue, it can also reflect heat. That means if you paint with this pigment, you can have a building or cars which can be cooler even under a hot summer actually. So this can make an energy saving paints. So that is why this is the first blue discovered after 200 years. Because, because the last blue was discovered in 1802. That was the year Thomas Jefferson was the president of the United States. So you can see how long it took to create a new blue. Because nobody knows how to do it. Yeah. We just tumbled on it. It's such an interesting story. I don't even like, I don't even, I have so many questions. One thing, I can't believe you mentioned that quote because in preparation for this episode, I talked to my uncle Eric, who's also a chemistry professor, and he said, chance favors the prepared mind. And you mentioning that is just so funny. And I guess, can you speak more on how your discovery was accidental and what this tells people about how they should approach their own work? In any research, chemistry or physics, or astronomy, or it can be any research, there is something called serendipity. Mm -hmm. The word serendipity is a very important word because 
you should always have open mind. You, you should not be a, a, like, you don't want to wear blinders. Oh, I'm going to look for a new computer material. I don't care if anything else happens there. I want that. That is, so if you're a scientist, you should have an open mind. There is nothing called disappointment in science. If you don't make something, that doesn't mean nothing happened, actually. Something has happened. Even materials which are very benign, like aluminum oxide, silicon dioxide, like a sand, is very useful. So when you start any research in any field, having an open mind is going, always going to help you. That is, that is a very important because sometimes the students get very disappointed when they don't get the results they want. I always tell them, wait, 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 don't worry. I'm sure something has happened. Tell me what really happened. What is the color of the sample? Did you see any sparkling single crystals? So then we can say, hey, now we can go and see what happened there. Like you mentioned right when you saw the blue, you knew that it was something, you knew that it was this revolutionary pigment that no one ever seen before and that there had not been all of these blues. And it was like, you immediately knew in that moment that you discovered something crazy. And I think not everyone would have been as perceptive and thought as far ahead and been like, this is crazy and this is something. But it, it is true. Yeah, it is very true. Not every time you can catch it. Sometimes people are not in the lab even to see what's going on. So you have to engage your student in the research such a way that student can also feel, oh gosh, uh, this is how I should do it in the future. Now many students know they always look for something to happen, which they are, they know that something, maybe the results didn't come out the way they want, but oh my gosh, maybe I should go and see what happened. So clearly that is a, that should be motivated. Everybody who should have that type of mental makeup or open you know, mind. So, so make sure that you catch whatever you see, mm -hmm. um, which probably no one has seen before. <laughs> I think it also applies to all different aspects of life, searching for something to find, even if you're not expecting it. And I guess I want to touch back on Yinmin Blue itself. Um, I know I was at least confused on this and it took me a little bit to understand. I feel like someone at first would be like, well, there are tons of blues that exist. When you go to the art store, there are like a hundred blues to choose from. What do you mean you discovered a new blue? Okay, let me explain to you. The blue, there are blues exist. Of course, you go to the Home Depot and look at the paints. You are going to see lots of blues. There's no doubt about it. Most of the blues are created by, by mixing various colors sometime. Uh, when I say a blue pigment, uh, there, are, there are two kinds of colors are known. One is called dyes, which is organic in nature. For example, when you are having a blue shirt, so you can see the blue is not coming from inorganic. It comes from organic dyes. That's why it's not, not a very stable. But if you look at the inorganic blues, there are only very few, like a cobalt blue, Persian blue, which is iron cyanide, you have a Egyptian blue, which is a copper silicate. And also you have a very famous lapis lazuli, which Michelangelo used to paint Sistine Chapel, the Lost Judgment painting in the Sistine Chapel. What is the, one of the ancient inorganic pigment known? Because it was used in 6,000 years back. There's only inorganic pigment those days. It can be found on Earth, actually. Then came the Egyptian blues because Egyptians could not get lapis lazuli because lapis lazuli was available only in Afghanistan. So they finally decided to make their own blues. Then came the Persian blue by accident again. We're not looking for a new blue. Then came the cobalt blue in 1802. 
Then came the Enmin blue. Oh, in, in, in 2009. But I'll explain to you what is special about Enmin blue. Enmin blue is a, a man-made, which we call man-made, because this material does not exist in nature. You have to create them in the lab. Number two is, this is a very unique structure, this Enmin blue has. What is the crystal structure? Crystal structure, how do you put the atoms? Like an yttrium is an atom, indium is an atom, manganese is an atom. So you put them together in a crystal structure material, actually. For silicon dioxide containing silicon and oxygen, Enmin blue containing yttrium, indium, manganese. Of course, oxygen we don't include. That's why we call this as the Enmin blue, yttrium, indium, manganese. So this containing a very unique crystal structure where the manganese is located surrounded by five oxygens. So that coordination or the geometry, we call them as trigonal bipyramid. Because you have a two triangular pyramid. pyramid you know pyramid what it is. So you then join them together on a base. It's called a structural unit. Structural unit is so unique, it absorbs a light only in the red region and gives this to blue color. What is color? When you see an object, when a white light shines on it, it absorbs certain wavelength, visible wavelength, and it reflects certain wavelength. So the absorption of your light is very important to see the color. So for example, you want to create a red color, you have to absorb in the blue region. If you want to create a blue color, you want to absorb in the red region. If you want to create a green, you have to absorb in the blue region and also the red region. So what is left over, not absorbed, is the color you see. Mm -hmm. So this is the fundamental property of a material. If all the colors are absorbed, it's black. If all the colors are reflected, it's white. So clearly color is very important. The material dictates what color you are going to see. Why you see certain materials green, why you see certain materials blue, because the material property it is. Or you can do one thing. Sometimes you can reflect the light like some blues on the birds and so on. They don't have a pigment. They simply make a structure which only reflects the blue color because of the wavelength. The, the size of the feathers are arranged so nicely when the light comes on to hit the, hit the feather, it only reflects the blue color. Because of the, the structure of those feathers are very similar to the wavelength of the color you, are, you see actually. So nature does it its own way. Give a, I want to give a good example. If you have somebody has a blue eyes, do you think that the person has got a blue pigment in their eyes? I feel like I would say that I would think that they have blue pigment, but I feel like they don't because of what you've been talking they about. They don't have a blue pigment. The reason <laughs> they, they, if you have a brown or a, or a black eyes, just like mine, you have a pigment called melanin, which actually mm -hmm. absorbs that pigment. But if a person has got a blue eyes, there is no pigment. In fact, they have a, a, a transparent it is actually genetic, that's why. Then it catches the blue light. So it is actually what you call structural color. Because of the structure of your eyes, there is no pigment in your, uh, in your eyes. That's called stroma, a place called stroma, which is in the eyes, actually has the pigment. They don't have any pigment. So clearly nature, it cannot make blue. Mm -hmm. So that's why the Enmin blue is so special because it is not easy to go to the lab and say, I am going to create a material today it will be red, it will be green, it will be blue. You know why? I can't predict the color of the compound or the material I'm going to make before I make it. Because the structure is so important. So we always see the color first, and then we understand why the color comes from. 
I'll give you an example. You know what is ruby? You know what is emerald? Emerald is green. Mm -hmm. Ruby is red. Mm -hmm. Why one is red and one is green? Although both containing chromium. Chromium is the element in the periodic table. So it is not just because chromium is important because they are in a two different structures. One structure, it has got absorption in the red and blue region. It gives green, which is emerald. Another one, you have ruby, which, which only containing aluminum oxide, actually only absorbs in the blue region, gives rise to red color. So if, if ruby and emerald was not known before from the earth, it's a naturally occurring gemstones, nobody will know how to make those materials with that, that color, actually. So that is why nobody predicted Enmin blue before he made it. Nobody told me, Mars, you go and mix yttrium oxide, indium, and manganese, you're going to get a blue color. Even if, even if you're a genius, even if you're a, a computer wizard, you can't go to plug in some numbers in the computer and predict these materials have a blue color. Wow. Yeah, like, I, I just look at a ruby and an emerald and I see red and green, but there's these very complex structures that are behind what I'm, what I'm looking at. And that's exactly. so cool. That is, that is amazing, actually. That's what I'm telling you. We can be we can be as smart as possible, but still, still there are so many things we still have to learn yes. and learn how to, things work. Actually, uh, that's why we we spend nearly a two years to figure out exactly where the blue comes from, where this other structure is. Then how do I now create other colors by using the same chemistry? In fact, we you now we have created a green, we have created a purple, we have created a orange, we can create a yellow using the same chemistry by changing manganese to copper, zinc and titanium, or iron. So now I can change the chemistry because I know where to now explore. I know where to go and look for colors. Mm. The same structure, same kind of a crystal structure, I can go and see where it is. Now, now we are looking for a red. You know why? Most of the red pigments known today, cadmium red, you may have seen that, vermilion, which is another red pigment, they're all highly toxic. Mm, yeah. We're now looking for a material like Enmin Blue, which is not toxic, which is stable, but I want to only reflect the red color. Then you are going to tell me, Mars, why don't you go and do it? We are trying. We have no idea to succeed or not. Mm -hmm. That is what we call as scientific research. Yeah. So, so there are these, like there's two sides of this blue that you've discovered. There's the side where it's like, functional, um, it's super stable and reflects heat. And then there's the side where it's this new paint that can be used by artists eventually. I saw online that people at Oregon State University in art classes have painted with your blue. Have you ever painted with your own blue? It's a very interesting question because I get Alex, you know, my wife is a chemist and also an artist. Mm. So she has used my pigments a lot. The interesting thing is this, it, this changed my life, this discovery. This can happen to anybody who is listening to this program, actually. Because, you can, because when you make a discovery like this, you think about it. You know, earlier days, I used to go to museums and spend some time because my wife enjoys going to the museums. Even if I've been to you know, Lou Museum, we have been to Guggenheim Museum, we have been to Hermitage, but I always didn't have that much interest. My wife will go spend more time than me. Mm -hmm. But now, after discovering this new blue, if my wife says, let's go home, I would say, Mom, I want to spend more time here <laughs> because I want to see a lot of other blue pigments have been used 
in Middle Ages, for example, or Renaissance time. So it changed my life clearly that how you view the world, because discovering something like a color is so unique and so important, actually, anybody can understand, actually. In fact, yesterday I saw a, a, a ring, a ring sold. It's called Enmin Blue Ring, which is actually made from the Enmin Blue, which is, I was so excited because this is what we created in our lab. 10 years back, if you ask me, Mas, do you know the, this will be useful anywhere? I'll say, I don't know yet. I don't know. Maybe or may not be. And I saw that yesterday. I said, this is already sold out. Many places it's already sold out. You can tell people are so excited about it. So you not only do exciting research for your own interest, you're also doing research which also excites other people and make them happy, actually. Mm -hmm. So... I'm, I'm sure everybody listening is like, well, I want to see this blue for myself. I want to get something that has this Yinmin blue on it. In what ways is it commercially available? In what ways do you think in the future it will be commercially available, both in an art world aspect and then functional like uses, like tangible uses? A very good question. Um, right now, it is uh, the, the, the Environmental Protection Agency, which is called EPA. They allowed us to use for many, many applications, including artist colors. Mm -hmm. and also in plastics. But this Enmin blue is slightly more expensive than most of the other blues known because containing some exotic elements in the, on the periodic table, like indium is quite expensive. So we are hoping the price will come down and more people will use it. Right now it has been used mostly by artists and also some of the paint companies are testing them to what kind of heat protecting properties which will benefit, what can applicant benefit so that the cost can be justified. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because always there is a cost in involving everything. If you want to paint a roof, if the cost is going to be the, the, the price of the house, nobody is going to paint <laughs> the color. So what is happening is this. They're trying to now use a less amount of pigment, Enmin Blue, and still paint so that it can reflect heat. So there's a lot of testing going on. There's a lot of commercial application will come in the future because as it become more popular, the prices will come down because there'll be a competition. So that's what we are hoping that Probably you will see definitely on the cars maybe because BMW and other companies have already showed interest. Mm -hmm. See whether they can use this blue so that if you are in a Middle East, uh, in countries like Middle East or in uh, hot climate countries, uh, they can have a blue color car which will be cooler even in, uh, during the hot summer actually. Because the reason why if you go to Middle East like a place like Dubai, you see lots of white cars. Because white <laughs> is the best reflector of the heat. But not everybody likes white color because they want other colors. So this blue is the first blue pigment ever made, which can reflect heat. Nearly as good as titanium dioxide, which is a white pigment. I'm excited to see what becomes available in the future that has this blue in it. Because yes. it's hard to know. <laughs> um, in researching for this interview, which has been so cool so far, um, I knew it would be. <laughs> I've come across like little tidbits of advice that you offer your students. And throughout this interview, you've said, you've mentioned like a lot of little pieces of advice. As a professor, what advice would you give to high school students in learning new topics and discovering things about the world? Yes, again, I'm going to say the same thing. What I made me successful actually are making discovery things. First of all, if you have interest in a subject, which you read a lot about it and see why it makes you interesting, you need to understand why this subject is interesting to me. It can be math, it can be science, it can be philosophy, it doesn't matter what, whatever you, when you start, start understanding the science more and more, or the subject more and more, you are going to 
see, is this the field is going to be create passion for me? Because passion is very important for to be successful as a scientist or even entrepreneur. So you, you have to have the passion to go after something. So you have to understand the subject very well. And also always find a good mentor because mentors are extremely important for you to go after your goals because we learn, as we live this life, we learn every day more and more. Those learnings come from also through others actually. So I have science teachers, I was inspired by many scientists who have, who have gone this before. Actually, I am actually on standing on giants who already done lots of uh, discoveries and so on. So you read about who has done this before and how they did it. And always remember that there is a hard work behind in every, every successful person actually. Because there is a passion, hard work and work ethics. Mm -hmm. Science is the truth. We have to tell the truth. Hey, you know, when I, somebody asked me, why do you want to say to the world, you discovered this accident? You might have simply said, I was so good, I actually predicted this. Mm -hmm. You know why I didn't say that? I want the younger people to know, know not every discovery requires you to be a genius. You have to have only the dedication and passion and work ethics and hard work, you will find things. Even you may not even know that you have the capabilities, but you may find something. So I want to tell every younger generation who listen to me, is there's a big world out there to discover things. Mm -hmm. The question is, it's your choice, what you want to do. And it is your drive, how to go and go after your passion and reach the destination where you want to be. You're so value driven and your advice is so awesome. I'm glad I asked that question. Um, and I know we have gone over time. So I will ask you one more question that just have to ask. What is your favorite color? Blue. <laughs> Believe me, even before I discovered Enmin Blue, I always love blue. Blue is my every, I, I don't wear any other jacket other than blue jackets. Uh -huh. I, I always have a blue shirt, which got different, you know, background sometimes. Always with blue. Blue is my very favorite color. You know, blue is the most favorite color in the world. I saw that it was America's favorite color, but it's the world's favorite color too. Yes, people love blue. Everywhere you go, you can see the blue is always going to be, every airline uses blue actually, Neil. I've seen like corporate logos with a lot of blue. Because blue is a, it's a symbol of honesty, integrity, and you know, the, uh, so there is a, a truth. And also blue is a color, also what we call as a divine color. See, when, when whenever the painters in Middle Ages painted Virgin Mary, they always had a, a cloak, which is blue. So it, it is a very, uh, that's one of the reasons Michelangelo painted the large judgment heaven as blue. A sea, ocean, everything is kind of, a, a represents the blue color actually. So clearly the blue is a, a, one of the most amazing color. I'm still, I'm always fascinated by the blue. Even if I discover another blue, I'll be very happy. <laughs> what a great color for you to have done so much with. So fabulous. Then that, I guess, basically brings us to the end of this interview. Is there anything else you want to expand on that you didn't say before or anything else you want to say before we end? Well, currently we may, if you ask me, what are you looking for now other than colors? We are looking for a material we call superconductors. You can read about it. It's very interesting because it can conduct electricity without any resistance. 
which can this phenomenon only known as very low temperatures, which is not very useful. We are looking for a material which can superconduct at room temperature. Mm. Then you can then you can have a you can have a power which can be transmitted without any loss. Then you can have a, a trains which can levitate. So there's a lot of applications for the superconductor. Then I want to also tell you that when I'm looking for the new room temperature superconductor, I may discover a new red pigment. <laughs> you never know. You never know, yes. That is called scientific discovery. Yes. Well, um, that what a great interview. You are so interesting, and I'm so happy that I had you on today. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thanks, Eden, for having me on your show. This has been Eden on 88.9 The Bridge, joined with Ma Subramanian, um, a professor at Oregon State University and a super, super fascinating person. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day.